Hello and welcome back to the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is episode 115. My name's Rob Woods and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants some ideas and maybe a dose of inspiration to help you raise more money and really enjoy your job. Today I'm sharing a chat I had recently with the brilliant Louisa Dodd from the Sustainable Restaurants Association. The SRA is a social good organisation that helps restaurants, bars and their suppliers to operate in a sustainable way. Since taking part in a training programme with Brightspot that started nine months ago, Louisa has made some deliberate shifts in the way she approaches her work, which have led to some great results. In this wide-ranging chat, we talk about some of these strategies, including the power of getting super clear on who your ideal partners or supporters are, adding genuine value to those supporters, being outcome focused and storytelling. These are important themes that sometimes get talked about in fundraising, but I found they're not necessarily as obvious or as simple to implement as they can sound. So to offer you food for thought, maybe some clarity, and most importantly, encouragement to follow through with your own approach to these ideas, here's my recent chat with Louisa. Louisa Dodd, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you doing, Rob? I'm very well. Thank you ever so much. And thank you. I know you're super busy at this time of year. So thank you for making time for this chat. In terms of context, we had a really interesting chat a week or two ago about some of the things you've been doing in the last few months, because you went on one of our Bright Spot training programs for fundraisers. And you mentioned to me that it's helped you in various ways. And I thought our listeners could find some of those things really quite useful to know about. Just before we get into it, though, what's your role and what's the name of your organisation? Yeah, Louisa, I'm from the Sustainable Restaurant Association. I'm a senior project manager. The SRA exists because sustainability is really complicated. And when you're trying to operate a busy kitchen or a busy bar, Often the last thing on your mind is trying to decide how to solve global warming or world poverty. And so we provide a framework for sustainability, which is basically 10 different areas and says, this is what you need to think about when you're trying to tackle your sustainability. And we have a rating which rates restaurants one, two or three stars against that framework. And I manage a lot of our consultancy projects within that. So we're not a charity, which I know um, a lot of um, businesses that you guys work with are, but we are an organisation all about social good. Yeah, that makes sense. And I've long been a fan of your work, not least because my friend and colleague Ben has done some various work with the SRA. In fact, the last time he and I met up in London, we enjoyed making a point of going to one of the restaurants near King's Cross that is sustainable and has become more sustainable because of working with the SRA. So for various reasons, I love what you do. In terms of this story, I think you ended up on this fundraising programme that we run thanks to a charitable trust. Do you want to just tell the brief version of how you ended up on this course? Yeah, definitely. So I did Bright Spot about nine months ago. Um, and it was provided by the Mark Leonard Trust. So Mark is one of the founders of the SRA and is a big supporter of what we do. Our managing director had done the course maybe two years ago, and I remember her sort of bounding into the office because it was in person at the time, coming back to them and being like, I love fundraising, I love storytelling, all these things. And I was kind of like, what are you on about? And so I'm still a bit of a sponge to these kind of trainings because I'm quite new in my career and she put me on the course this year. So, yeah, it was thanks to Mark. But Julian, our MD, was a big fan of doing this a few years ago as well. Great. And well done, by the way, for not only going on those sessions, but also finding the 
energy to come back and try and put some of these ideas into practice. And I'm not sure we've got time to, to talk about this range of different ideas you've had. I think one of them, though, was being ever more focused and thoughtful about doing more of the things that work and working more with the type of restaurant or the type of supplier, the type of client, the type of partner where you can make the biggest difference and they're most likely to be able to do the most things with you. And it reminded me of one of the concepts that Ben and I work with. I think our listeners probably have heard of this thing, this concept of the 80-20 principle. And if you've not heard of it, then what Richard Koch, who wrote this book about it, suggests is he's talking about the Pareto law. So I think he's an Italian economist many years ago, more than 100 years ago, noticed that in all kinds of areas of life, effort and reward is not evenly distributed. Life is wonky. And at its simplest, for instance, if you go into a room, 20% of the carpet is likely to get walked on 80% of the time. Probably most of our listeners wear less than 20% of their wardrobe more than 80% of the time. Most companies tend to get disproportionate profits, at least 80% of their profits, from less than 20% of their customers, and so on and so on. Lots of Bright Spots work is consistent with this idea, because, for instance, on our Corporate Mastery Programme, we help people really get better results by not trying to get motivated by and work and grow more partnerships inspired or bored by a spreadsheet, which has got 93 company names on it. <laughs> but to get really clear who are the 10 companies who we could do great stuff with, and they would want to, if only they knew, and it would be disproportionately valuable to us. So that's why some of our listeners have heard me talk about the Dream 10 concept and tool on that mastery program. You could apply a similar thing to major donor fundraising. Relatively few of any charity's donors can make a disproportionate effect compared to the other 80% of those major donors, and so on and so on it goes. Now... <laughs> 20 years ago, people mentioned this Pareto law to me, but if I'm really honest, I never really did too much with it. But when reading Richard Koch's book of the same name, The 80-20 Principle, he challenged me to not just accept that life is wonky, but to be really curious and thoughtful about where it's wonky. What are the activities that disproportionately will raise more money? Who are the clients or partners or donors who, if only we added more value to them or created much better engagement for them, they could give way more and enjoy doing so. So that's some of what I mean when I talk about 80-20 principle. And I think you've done lots of things in the last six months, but one of them that struck a chord with me was some proactive effort you've done with some of your suppliers. Do you want to say the gist of what you've done? Yeah, I guess when I started Brightspot, selling and pitching was becoming an increasingly new part of my role. So it kind of married up at a really nice time where I was needing the skills to work out, you know, how do you get in front of the right people? A lot of my work now is about understanding what kind of content gap is there, i.e. do our restaurants need some more information on carbon or on cocktails being more sustainable which I'll come on to and then working out how do we get the right people in the room to create really meaningful content but also fund that content fund my time to do the research and fund the promotion that's needed to make sure it gets in the right hands so I've done a lot of work in the drinks industry over the past few years and I realized that 
I had quite a lot of knowledge on things like sustainable cocktails, but it's all very well and good having it in my head. But the more we can kind of shout about it and make it more public sourced information, the better, because that's kind of what the SRA believes in. Um, and so we created this idea of having a series called Behind the Back Bar, which was a three part webinar series exploring three different concepts of your bar being more sustainable, circularity, selecting sustainable suppliers, that kind of thing. It then occurred to me, I sort of remembered the, the idea of the dream list. And so I worked out what alcohol brands are within our network and which of them do I believe have genuine sustainability credentials, which of those are small enough that they probably won't have their like own learning and development program for their bars that they, their customers essentially. And so therefore who would benefit by saying, oh, by the way, bar customer A, um, we are working on or we have funded this webinar with the Sustainable Restaurant Association. It gives the sponsor, the brand, an opportunity to come on the webinar and talk about their amazing credentials, but also provides broader information about sustainability. So I sort of wrote this down in a succinct A4 document and emailed it to those businesses. And I think um, it, maybe there was only sort of like 10 the dream 10 which makes sense and basically got all of them sponsored within a matter of like two weeks I also didn't have to have I think any meetings because this document was quite clear this is how much I need this is what you'll get out of it this is why I want you and the series went really well we had like 70 people listen in to the series which was also great because it meant that sponsors could send it out to their customers and their customers turned up and, and came and following on from that, this week alone, I've had two emails from two of those sponsors saying, can we talk about plans for 2023? Because that was really cool and we'd quite like to do something else together. So it's already the start of a, a longer and maybe financially different relationship with at least some of those sponsors. So that's brilliantly done. And two of the themes that sort of leap out at me there and reasons I like this project is, number one, just deciding to do that webinar series at all to this important type of supplier to you and add what Richard Koch says is get really clear who an ideal customer or donor is and then add a ton of value to them even if they're not asked for it from you and I think life would have gone on had you not created this webinar series but you've wanted to engage and add genuine value to those suppliers because you realize how important they are for your mission and you've come up with a webinar series and it's not a trick to basically try and manipulate or sell. It's just genuinely valuable content that's useful to them and that they can invite their network to. So point one, those that do best in fundraising prioritize, but they also decide to add as much value as they possibly can. The ones that add the most value, inevitably, those kind of donors or supporters or clients will be drawn to engage and then you start a conversation and in due course you know, those other results flow in terms of money or partnerships or gifts and then the other thing is in order to get them sponsored you've absolutely done this prioritizing of getting clear on who your dream 10 would be and you've designed something that genuinely sees their point of view and what's in it for them <laughs> And how brilliant to get all that efficiently confirmed and the value, the sponsorship value done, even without needing to have the conversations. Yeah. And I think it's for us as an organization was a good like proof of concept. So it means going into next year, we can have more confidence that 
we have the expertise on a lot of these different things and there are a lot of brilliant businesses out there that would like to be positioned presenting those expertise and so I think going into next year it's a it's a concept that we'll be doing a lot more for me it's it's kind of shown myself that it does work and this week I'm having a think about who we should approach to sponsor the British Street Food Awards, for example, which is a, a partnership we have. And so I was talking to Ben the other day and he was really helping me work out, OK, what are the suppliers in the street food industry that would maybe like to be positioned supporting a sustainability initiative? Which of those are already a bit sustainability minded? And it helped us come to a conclusion of a few different people that I should reach out to. So, yeah, if you're listening to this and you're interested in funding the <laughs> let me know. But, yeah, it's it's a really useful concept, I think, has just given me the confidence that you, you don't need to approach everyone, but you can go in a lot more targeted and say kind of, I want to work with you. I genuinely want to work with you because I think we would have a good partnership and here's the reasons why. Great. And one of the things you mentioned was the clarity you now have whenever you're planning any kind of conversation or meeting with your partners or supporters, you're pretty experienced. And I bet you were always quite good at this, but you said you've got sharper in knowing what success looks like by the end of any of these interactions. Yeah, definitely. There was some kind of tool or training we did through Brightspot that made me clearer on what do you want to come out of this? So that one pager, for example, that I was making for the, the potential sponsors for that bar series is that document making really clear what I actually want people to do after reading that and similarly as you say in meetings I've got a meeting after this and to prepare for it before coming onto this I've popped into a document what's the aim for myself of, of that meeting it's not a sales meeting but what's the output so what will actually make me happy to sort of think I've done what I need to do in that or yesterday for example I was meeting with a large restaurant group I've been doing a big project with them on their food waste and we've kind of created this strategy together and I I caught my client the other week saying she was still feeling quite overwhelmed that there's going to be a lot for her to do once I've kind of brushed my hands of it and so that didn't settle very well with me so I was like look I'll come in to the office next week which is yesterday and and let's make sure that you don't feel like that so we had this session to to talk through basically with her who is going to be responsible for delivering each of these different actions. And I was conscious of my time and left the final five minutes to say, okay, we now have this checklist of the different things that people need to do, but what do we actually have to do to make sure those people know about that or that checklist leaves this meeting? And I just purposely didn't let myself open my mouth and allow the the people in the meeting who work for the company to decide between themselves, okay, well, we're going to need... Rob to sign off this we're going to need blah 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 and I was there sort of silently taking minutes so I can then email that back to them and say as a reminder this is what you guys said you were going to do and I guess bringing it back to fundraising or sales it's about trying to understand practically what conversations need to happen or what buttons need to be clicked to make sure that this decision moves on so if you're in a conversation with someone and they're agreeing yeah yeah I kind of like what we're talking about here Okay, so Rob, practically, do you need me to speak to your manager to say what I've just said to you? Or if they go, okay, yeah, I'm going to need to speak to Rob, my manager, just making sure you say, okay, and so when is your next one-to-one? So helping them work through in their head, practically, what is going to be needed to, to actually move to that next step? It's the same with, I do a lot of training and workshops. And I now, again, this is only from doing the Bright Spot training, 
I put a kind of passive aggressive picture of Greta Thunberg at the end of, of most of my slides. One of her saying sort of like, planet B, the world needs you kind of thing. And I now always finish those workshops by saying, what is the one thing that you are going to do this afternoon or tomorrow? And I make everyone say it because again, something that I learned through Brightspot is that the more you say or you write down the action that in theory you said you're going to do, you're a lot more likely to actually do it. And so, for example, did a workshop on on Monday and did this at the end. I was like, look, we've got we've got two minutes, but really quickly, I want to spin around the room. What are you going to do today? Great. What are you going to do today? And it will mean that they are more likely to do it. I did the same thing actually two weeks ago with the guys that I met up with yesterday. And they started the meeting by saying, we've actually done three of those things that we said in the meeting we were going to do. So I think focusing on the next step and trying to get that out of the client, I think has has been really beneficial. Yeah, in a way, it sounds obvious, but I certainly know that earlier in my career, I thought the purpose of the meeting was to exchange information. Or I thought the purpose of the pitch or proposal I was writing was to make a good case. Whereas now I'm much savvier. What is this proposal? If it goes brilliantly, what will happen after the person reads it? Oh, well, they will email me back and request a conversation or they will put us through to the next stage. Getting super clear before you start writing the proposal, designing the pitch or going into the meeting, as obvious as this sounds, getting super clear what success looks like being outcome focused in that way makes an enormous difference to what you choose to spend writing about pitching about or talking about (laughs) because at its simplest if we're not careful we could write a proposal as if the proposal in and of itself would cause that donor to decide to give the half a million pounds and that's that's the outcome rob whereas in practice Almost always a meeting or a pitch or a proposal is just one more step in the ongoing process. So as clear as you can get, what's the next step? Authors Chip and Dan Heath call this shrink the change. (laughs) Yes, there's a bigger picture to do with the environment, for instance, which hopefully is our big reason why. (laughs) But let's get really practical and help ourselves or our potential partners save 10 minutes at the end of the meeting for hammering out the difficult or just simple stuff. And if you do that, you're so much more likely, I think, to take what I would call a momentum action. And sometimes you know, when I'm coaching people, some of the things they might want to do after a session with me is a really big thing and might take three hours. Great. That hard work is needed too. But I think you're more likely to do it if you also think of your smallest possible momentum action directly after today's meeting, which might be, I'm going to order that book, subscribe to that podcast, or send a meeting request to this person. And the act of doing that first thing, we find creates that lovely snowball effect where the harder, important things are more likely to happen as well. Completely. I remember coming out of this bright spot training and deciding that I wanted to train or at least pass on the information to my colleagues about what I'd learned in module one. And so, again, I probably was running to another meeting. So I just put in my diary and invited four people in two weeks time. We're going to do a training about the things that I've learned. I obviously didn't have time to write that training there and then, but I did have time to set up the meeting invite. And then I would realize that I would have to a few days before spend an hour pulling together my thoughts and and actually doing that work. But yeah, what is the action that you can actually do there and then is so far working very well. Yeah. 
that's brilliant. And again, to go back to the other theme, Richard Koch, who wrote the book, The 80-20 Principle, would say, that activity you decided to do, that was very shrewd because that's a powerful 20% activity. It's a disproportionately powerful thing to do because if you spend half an hour with three or four team members talking through the concept of storytelling or 80-20 or whatever it is, there's few other things you could possibly do that day that are going to make a bigger difference to your charity's productivity and so on. So you get massive payback in output results for your effort for half an hour and whatever time it takes to prepare it. There's one other theme I think you mentioned that there's a, a clear difference in the way you work now to maybe how you worked eight, nine, ten months ago. And I think you mentioned that's to do with being really story conscious or just being aware of the disproportionate power of specifics and real examples. Yeah, as I said at the start of this conversation, I remember when my colleague did this training, she kept talking about stories, storytelling. We need to tell a story. And I was like, what are you on about? And it wasn't until I went through it and I, I got that we are all so much more moved and emotionally charged when there is a story running through what we are being told about what is the impact of your organization on someone what is the impact of the SRA on changing a restaurant from one place to another and I think so this kind of active storytelling or even recognizing it's basically giving examples <laughs> and just being aware of when I am needing to give an example like probably right now it was just something that I hadn't really thought about and I think as an industry both in terms of food and climate Food is all about storytelling. It's about knowing where did that produce come from? What season has it been grown in? What memories are evoked when you smell that curry, you taste those mince pies? And it's the same with climate change or the environment. It's when we've seen photos of a turtle wrapped in a bit of citrus wrap or, you know, David Attenborough's on a falling glacier, that kind of thing, that is when we get emotional and we think, oh my God, I need to do something. And so... I had a meeting the other day and a client said, oh, you'd love this pub in Clapham. It's so sustainable. And I was like, oh, really? Why would you say that? What made you think that? And they were saying that, oh, well, they've got this kind of map up and it and it tells you where all the produce comes from. And they have an in-house composter and blah, 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 and all of this. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting because that general manager is clearly very good at storytelling. They're very good at identifying what are these sustainable things that we are doing. Great. But how do we actually make sure that our diners are aware of that? And this particular person's business own loads of pubs. And I was like, well, I actually know your sustainability credentials. And I know that you're doing all of those things. You, I could draw you right now a map of where all your ingredients come from, or your main ingredients, at least. I could tell you that your food waste goes to quite a good place where they create energy and blah, blah, blah. So you're doing the same things. But the client's pub was maybe not so good at identifying a story and being able to tell that story. So I think... Yes, the concept of storytelling has been a completely new thing to me. But as an industry, we need to make sure that we are better at telling stories because it drives sales, it moves customers. It, Yeah, it's a real kind of space for game changing. And I think my own conscious around stories, I've then sort of tried to make my team a little bit more aware of that. So again, this week, my colleague was sending me their team updates for me to read in the team meeting. And I went back and said, huh, and what was what was interesting about that? What was fun about that? He'd been to see like a, a fast food restaurant's kitchen and he was literally was like, 
I'd been to see a fast food restaurant's kitchen, insert name. And I was like, well, what's actually interesting? What are the stories there? And then he was like, oh, and I could see his dot, dot, dot then going for quite a while. And then he came back by saying, oh, it's actually quite interesting. They buy in all of their burgers, shrink wraps, actually there's no food waste. And he started telling me these essentially stories. So it meant then when I was to convey his updates to the team, they didn't really care that he's been to the restaurant. They care about the stories of the encounters he's had there. Who were the general managers that he met? How was he moved by them? Or another colleague this week told us a story on our sort of Teams chat about something she'd read in a restaurant's rating. And I just replied and said, I love that story. Tell us more stories. And so just trying to sort of be more conscious of them, identify them and encourage people to think more about what is the fun and interesting thing? What's the evocative thing about what you're trying to actually say here? I guess another example of seeing this in action is we've actually changed a lot of our proposal templates to try and tell a story. Ideally, you want to just read the titles of a proposal. We often do ours in a PowerPoint so that it can be presented. You should just be able to read the titles and that should flow through to explain what you're trying to explain. If you ignore the bullet points, are you saying, we want to work with you because of blah, next slide. You will help us do blah, you know? So tell that story, that beginning, middle and end just through those titles. And so I changed this kind of structure based on things that I'd learned through Brightspot. And I had a really like last minute meeting with the MD of a street food company. And I remember I like really needed lunch. And I was like, oh, I don't have time to do this whole proposal. And I was like, sod it. Quickly grabbed my lunch and was making this proposal, just trying to tell this story. And basically through a PowerPoint by saying, this is why I want to work with you. Next slide. This is what I think we'll bring to you. This is the issues I think this will address, blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of bashed it out and made it really colourful and just entered the call and spoke it through with him. And he was like, this is great. Can you send this to me right now? And the next week I went in to the business and met with all of their food team and had a really great in-person meeting to define what we were actually going to do together. So yeah, I think actually trying to tell a story through your proposals without having to read the finer detail, because let's be honest, we don't all do it anyway, has been a really big change for me. Really well done. And, and if you were to put your finger on what they were like before and what this more telling the narrative, what has shifted, what, what would they have been like before more? I think I was trying to tell the how and not the what. Yeah. So I was being very technical and saying, this is exactly how I'm going to do it. Here's my exact timelines. They're paying me to do it. They didn't care. <laughs> yeah, they didn't care exactly how I'm going to get there. They care about the output. They care about the what. So I think trying to put yourself in their shoes and try to ask yourself, what, what does that client actually want to see rather than having to give them the exact details? You can write your project plan. You can make sure you've got all your calculations but then why don't you just put that in another document and not give it to the client? They'll know if you've got your stuff together or not. So yeah, I think maybe historically, probably still do it quite a lot from time to time. I was giving too much of the how and not enough of the what. What are we actually going to do together? What are we actually going to produce together? What will be the output? Right. So at its simplest, helping them connect to a certain problem that they need solving and giving them reassurance and certainty that working with you or at least meeting you for the next stage, will solve it rather than all of the how, as you're saying. Brilliant, Louisa. Thank you so much for explaining the detail of that shift. I'm conscious of time. Just sometimes listeners uh, want to, to follow up and, and maybe reach out to our guests. If people wanted to do that or they wanted to 
tag you when they're sharing this. Are you on LinkedIn or Twitter? How would people get in touch? Yeah, um, I'm on LinkedIn. So Louisa Dodd is my name from the Sustainable Restaurant Association. You can follow the Sustainable Restaurant Association on Instagram. We're at Food Made Good, which is the name of our rating and our framework. If you're a restaurant, come on board and get rated. I'll tell you lots of stories about how that's been very impactful. But yeah, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Rob. Thank you so much. And genuinely, thank you for all the help. At one point, I came off one of the Bright Spot trainings and I wrote just a list of like, 30 things that I'd done that week that I'd learned from being a good sponge and going on this training. So oh, honestly, it's, it's been quite a game changer. So yeah, thank you. Well, thank you for sharing that, Louisa. And many congratulations. It's one thing to go on a course, it's a whole nother to find the energy and the mojo to actually get busy and, and put those things into practice. So really well done on all the progress you've been making. Thank you for making time to share some of those examples with our listeners. And I look forward to catching up with you very soon. I hope you found our discussion helpful. You can find a full transcript and a short summary of the episode, which also includes a link to the SRA's website in the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. And if you've not already subscribed to the Fundraising Brightspots show, please do that now so that you don't miss out on any of the other episodes we've got coming up. And this will immediately get you access to many more helpful episodes on a broad range of fundraising topics in our back catalogue. If you'd like to find out more about our flagship courses, the Corporate Mastery Programme or the Major Gifts Mastery Programme, I'm excited to let you know that because we weren't able to fit everyone onto our last programmes, we've decided to bring forward the date of the next ones to start in late January 2023. In these courses, we cover some of the techniques that Louisa talks about in this episode and dozens of other helpful strategies as well as individual coaching to help you do the most important thing, which is to apply them in your work and raise more money. To find out more, check out the information on our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do take a moment to share it on with your colleagues or on social media so we can spread the word and help as many charities as we possibly can. Louisa and I would love to hear what you think of this episode. You can get in touch or tag us both on LinkedIn or on Twitter, I am at Woods underscore Rob. Finally, thank you so much for listening today. Best of luck with your fundraising, and I look forward to sharing more Bright Spot ideas with you very soon.